On the very date of this recording, January 25th, 2021, I woke up this morning to a Facebook reminder that four years ago on this same date, January 25th, 2017, I received a letter in a package informing me that I had won the grand prize for excellence in songwriting in the Nashville International Song and Lyric Competition for 2016. My winning song was titled After You, and it was a stripped down acoustic guitar and vocal track about my own personal experience going through an ugly breakup. But Getting to the point where you're no longer bitter and angry, but instead using the experience to be a better person and know that something and someone better is out there waiting for you. I wrote this song about a specific person in my life, and the lyrics told of specific words we said, moments we shared, feelings I felt. It was real. It was honest, and it was truthful, and apparently good enough to win a major award. Hey, it's a major award. So four years ago today, I posted the song and the letter and the prize, etc., all the accoutrements on Facebook, and something very interesting happened that day. A friend of mine, or I'm sorry, a, a, well, a mutual friend of the girl that I wrote the song about as well as a friend of mine, messaged me and said, quote, OMG, you totally Taylor Swifted her. <laughs> And that made me laugh out loud for a number of reasons. First being, I hadn't even thought of that, and I simply wasn't trying to. Second, what the hell does Taylor Swift mean? And 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 furthermore, the irony that the very girl I wrote the song about was the person who first introduced me to Taylor Swift. Oh, the cruel and tragic irony. Now, for those uninitiated, Taylor Swift has made a name for herself and a career out of pouring her heart out into her songs, being shockingly open and honest about her real-life experiences and calling out or putting on blast basically everyone she's ever dated. Comics, late-night TV show hosts, tabloid magazines for the past 10, 12 years have joked about anybody willing to date her, saying things like, don't be the reason for the breakup because you'll end up in her next number one hit. And quite a few of those boys have had to endure the wrath of Taylor Swift At just 31 years old now, she's released nine studio albums, the last eight of which have gone to number one. She's sold over 200 million records, 10 Grammys, 32 AMAs, 12 CMAs, and holds seven Guinness Book World Records. Taylor Swift is one of the greatest recording artists in music history, male or female. She's been honored by the Country Music Hall of Fame, Nashville Songwriters Hall of Fame, and is the youngest person ever in Rolling Stone Magazine's 100 Greatest Songwriters of All Time. So that's who we're here to talk about today. Tay Tay, Taylor Swift. And who better to include in any discussion about teenage boys' heartbreaks and being left in ruin than my usual partner in crime, the Everlore to my folklore, Ryan Daly. Welcome to the show, brother. Oh, that last part really hurt. <laughs> I, 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 you know, art imitates truth, so... <laughs> Hey, you know what? Like, uh, skip all this. I, let's go back and talk more about After You. I could do a whole show about that song. I love that song. <laughs> I, I know I, you do. I've told you that's your best song you've ever written. That is well-deserving of the award. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. I really, I, It really is. I, I'm not joking when I say that that was a reminder that hit me this morning. It's so free. Like my whole intro, I just wrote after that. <laughs> so it was weird. No, I'd love to come back and talk about some of my other music. But as I mentioned, that was something ironically specific from my own life. Whereas a lot of times, you know me as, as a writer and stuff, I try to be a little more cryptic, a little more mm-hmm. poetic and, and things like that, uh, you know. So anyway, yeah, Taylor Swift did this chick. And um, <laughs> all right, so let's get into what we're doing today. Um, a few months ago, we launched a new anthology series under the Fire and Water Records banner about women in rock, pop, rap, whatever your genre. We called it Girl Popper. And when we first came up with it, 
I think you and I, we, num- we named a list of artists that we wanted to spotlight. I'm, I had the list somewhere too, but mm-hmm. I remember Taylor Swift being one of the first artists that I think we both recognized needed her own show. Yeah, I think Taylor Swift and Fiona Apple, which is the yeah. previous episode that I recorded. And yeah. You're actually right. That was the, the one before that. So as I mentioned before, I've heard of Taylor Swift before, and I knew she was a force in country music. She was always kind of in my periphery, so to speak, but that, she wasn't really my jam. To quote Ryan Daly, I wasn't a fan of hers from Jump, as you said. <laughs> it was honestly, it was when I started dating that girl I talked about who absolutely loved her and loved her 2014 Smash Pop crossover album 1989 when I was really exposed to her. And we'll get into this later on, but it's 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 also interesting and worth noting that my current girlfriend, who's a huge country music fan, actually lost interest in Taylor Swift because of that very same album. So I, I think it'll be fun. We can get more into the various stages of Tay-Tay's career and the ever-expanding genres she indulges in as we go. But that's how I kind of discovered her. How about you, man? Do you remember when Taylor Swift first appeared on your radar or what brought your attention to her? Yeah, I mean, I I think I had heard about her as far back as 2007, 2008, um, just because I was working in a school and sort of had an, like an awareness of like youth culture and stuff like that. Um, I knew that she was an emerging country pop star, still a teenager at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't listen to her because I wasn't interested in that genre. That that wasn't my scene. Right. Me um, too. And I didn't know at the time that she wrote her own music. I kind of just assumed that she was one of these prepackaged performers, like yeah, like one of these like teen, you know, pop acts or something like that. That yeah, just kind of the cookie board cutouts, the country thing. Yeah. Um. There was a little bit of both ageism and sexism on my part, assuming that you know she was too young and too just naturally beautiful to really be that talented. And we'll come back to that as a theme of sort of <laughs> underestimating her uh, yeah. later on. Um, I think the first song of hers that I heard that I actually liked, and I'll, I'll come back to this later on my list, is We Are Never Ever Getting Back Together. Um, but right around the time that I was discovering that song, we had a student, sort of, or my, my wife had a student, who bore more than a passing resemblance to Taylor Swift. Oh, uh, <laughs> really? She, she, had, she had very straight platinum blonde hair but in the face she she looked enough like taylor swift that people mentioned it when they met her um Uh. and as a high school sophomore or something this girl knew what that gave her in terms of clout and popularity uh and she abused it uh so she became more of a troublemaker um and that probably turned me off of taylor swift it's like you know like very interesting (laughs) um and then I heard Shake It Off when 1989 came out. Right, um, right. And I love the song. I thought it was a banger. I, I, it was a great pop song. Yep. Um, again, around that time, like I heard like people saying, it's like, she, this, she's, she's transitioning. Like She's not just this country act. This is a pure synth dance pop album. And the comparison that I think I was hearing along, around that time was she was like the new Madonna in terms of this kind of chameleonic ability to Mm. transform from album to album, which I think has actually progressed since then. In order to sort of stay to stay relevant and to stay cutting edge, she kind of has to reinvent herself and like come like go through like a metamorphosis, like an like a cocoon every time with a new album. Um, And I heard a couple of the singles from 1989 and I liked them. I thought they were good on a on a kind of superficial level, but 
so again, still some of that lingering, you know, reverse ageism where she's a 23 year old girl singing about love. And I'm in my mid thirties. I'm like, what? Are, I don't care what you have to say about this subject. What is um, uh, it might've been when I heard her acoustic cover of umbrella that I was kind of like, okay, you know, she's yeah, the Rihanna she's song. Bit. And then I think it was probably uh, when she took, an actual political stance for the 2018 midterm elections um, when she kind of came out on, on uh, Instagram and said that mm-hmm. she wouldn't vote for the Republican Senate candidate, Marsha Blackburn, who was running mm-hmm. in her home state of Tennessee. Um, even though coming out of the country background, the vast majority of very her red. early, yeah, and her and her, you know, early diehard fans are pretty conservative. Uh-huh. So it's a real risk for her to make this stance. But I thought it was really cool that she did it. Um, and that kind of, I knew that she was doing that. And around that same time, she was preparing her next album, which was Lover from mm-hmm. 2019. So that kind of made me think, I was like, you know what? I'll give her, I'll give her a chance the next time her album comes out. And then she drops Lover. And the thing is, I didn't like the first single from that one or or the self-titled song or something like that. Yeah, I didn't I didn't like the song Lover or the first single. So I was like, eh, this is, it doesn't bode well. But I liked a lot of the rest of the album, and one of the songs really stuck out with me and became heavy rotation. I'll come back to that one because it's Yeah, don't give it away. Right, right. <laughs> um, and around that time, I think you'd been talking about doing an episode of Taylor Swift. And by then I was like, okay. Ah, I can I can pick five Taylor Swift songs that I like. I don't know if I'll have much to talk about. And then the summer, in the middle of the pandemic, when we're in quarantine, she drops this album, kind of a surprise on everybody, with like 12 hours notice. And it's another change. It's an indie folk album produced by one of the guys from The National. And I was like, okay. <laughs> it was like the, the it was like the DiCaprio line from Django and Shannon. It's like you had my curiosity, now you have my attention. Um, I listened to that album, Folklore, and loved it from jump from the first song. <laughs> I was like, this is good. I can talk about this, and th- this like really primed me. And then just through like I was and I was like, all right, this will be my in. I can latch into this. And then I've started going back and listening to more of her old stuff. Uh, some of that that you would recommended kind of. Uh, filling that in and we're kind of in the process of, of you know preparing for this show and everything getting everything and then in december she drops another album <laughs> it's a surprise this sister album to to folklore called evermore uh which is just like the the sequel to it and i was like i like this album too there's more than so we're like revising our list and, and you were basically like we've got to record the next we've got to record this show soon because she's gonna drop more albums and we're never gonna get to it so um so yeah i i mean i would say i i had a casual appreciation for some of her stuff really when she became a pop artist i i i didn't go back and listen to her country stuff at the time but i i appreciated some of her pop hits but in this newest phase that is only six or seven months old now of right. her being like an indie folk artist, I love it. This is my Taylor Swift. This is the, the version that I, I really get into. Yeah, you. Yeah, I, I can't wait to get into your song selections as we go. I will say it real quick. I think it's hysterical that you mentioned the kind of reverse ageism kind of thing, sort of, which is weird because, as you know, the girl who I was talking about, who I wrote, you know, she was really hot. And really, really young. <laughs> so you I know, remember. 
Uh, yeah, you remember. So it, I was indulging. Uh, we in talked it. about that at the yeah. time. <laughs> yeah, we did. Yeah, we did. Um, but anyway, so for what it was worth, you know, when she was playing Taylor Swift, it was, you know, nonstop Taylor Swift, like every second, like you can't get away from it kind of thing the way, you know, people are prone to do. And I think the weirdest thing happened, though, that rather than me kind of turn and disdain and be like, this is pop music, this is kids music, I'm above this, I'm that, I'm that, whatever, it kind of forced me to kind of, and you know, the, what this girl did was say like, oh, yeah, but she writes all her own lyrics. And I think my first reaction, kind of like, like you know, it came as a surprise like it did you. But I think I was kind of like, sure, she does. I was like, at that point, I was like, what, she's 24 or something, you know, yeah. I think when 1989 was written. I'm like, yeah, oh, Okay. And then she was like, no, no, no. And I then, you know, just a tad bit of research here and there and just kind of some of them were catchy and we'll get into that stuff. But long story short, before we get into the songs, I, I, I think once I discovered that I was like, no, 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 she really, really does. Then all of a sudden my, you know, even if I didn't like certain songs, I listened to them with a different respect than I would have, you know, you know, mm -hmm. rather than anything else. I was kind of like, oh my God, okay, this and I was like, then I paid attention. When was her? When did she first start? When did she get her break? Did she write on her first album? And when she was 16, I'm like, oh, my God. So how ironic that this follows up your Fiona Apple thing, because this is, you know, we're, we're talking <laughs> yeah. about like, like prodigies, you know. Right. And, right. All right. So cool. All that being said, since you've just gone ahead and basically gone through her whole discography, <laughs> your introduction, <laughs> let's, uh, as usual, let's go through a number of their, her, her, let's, let's go, let's do songs. Yeah. And, you know, like we usually are known to do on, on these shows, you know, these are important or influential songs or songs that we both find worth noting or worth talking about. They're not necessarily our favorites, but they're certainly worth, um, shining a spotlight on for a number of reasons so ryan why don't you kick it off what's your first selection well the first one i'm going to talk about is like the first one that really popped on my radar as i mentioned that i i started listening to and i could admit at first it was a guilty pleasure and i'll explain that but this was the first one i was like yeah that's that's a good song um and this is the from the album red the song we are never ever getting back together I remember when we broke up the first time Saying this is it, I've had enough Cause like we hadn't seen each other in a month When you said you needed space What? Then you come around again and say Baby, I miss you and I swear I'm gonna change Trust me, remember how that lasted for a day I say I hate you, we break up You call me, I love you Okay, stick with me for a second. <laughs> a long time ago, there was this show called Game of Thrones. Hard to believe now, but it was crazy popular, and now it has completely vanished down the memory hole. There is Man, a they, should, they should do a final season for that show. <laughs> <laughs> there is a memorable episode that is unofficially called The Red Wedding. The actual title is The Reigns of Castamere, and I mention that because it will come back to it, believe it or not. 
<laughs> um, a friend of mine saw that episode before I got a chance, and he kind of spoiled it on Facebook by posting a picture of the entire Stark family oh. <laughs> from the very first episode of the of the series with the text on the post was, we are never, ever, ever getting back together. <laughs> Even though I was mad at him that he kind of spoiled something important from the episode, I didn't as you no, just no, did to everybody crazy. else. <laughs> yeah, it, there's no reason to watch the show. Right. Um, <laughs> it, it, I did think it was actually pretty funny the way he did that, and the unusual context made me appreciate the song a little bit. Because again, this is at this time I didn't want to care about Taylor Swift. She was still this, you know. F- country rock country pop like emerging artists starting to get in this pop territory but she's just too young she's too pretty she's like she's this package thing it's like i i can't take her seriously um so i was looking i i was looking for reasons not to like her um (laughs) and then just listening to the song when you hear it she really and I'll give her credit because she kind of masterfully like interrupts the verses and the chorus with this spoken word parts where she just has this affect of like this millennial, like, oh my God, we're just never, like, don't you get it? Oh, and I'm like, shut up, girl. And I hated it at first. And then listen to the song more. I'm like, I really, really love this part of the song. Like the way she, like, there's just a kind of confidence and a comfort in her own skin to be able to do that. And knowing her audience, trusting her audience, that she's able to inject that. It sounds like it's almost like an accidental recording. Like she was just having a conversation with somebody in the background that she loops into like the bridge or something in the middle of the song as a spoken word part just before the last course. And it's just really, really good. And it's, it's, it's catchy and it's hooky. So yeah, this isn't one of my, this isn't my favorite of her songs, but I like the song and it was memorable. And I do think it was like, it, it, it resonated with me. It, it took me a while to admit, like, I was like, Mm, yeah, I like this. I like this. This is good. <laughs> oh my God. I'm, I'm so happy with some of the things you just described talking about. Um, I, okay. I'll, I'll, let's the, the recorded, the spoken word parts of the song were recordings of her in conversation in the studio. It literally was. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. so when you say it sounds kind of like that's what was, that's really what was happening. So <laughs> the, the, the story goes um, that she wrote this song kind of stream of consciousness and spontaneously she was in the studio um, doing ser- sessions for the album Red. And um, so one of her friends came into the studio to visit and brought coffees and Starbucks and stuff like that. And then said something like, hey, I heard you're getting back to the other with so-and-so. And I don't know who the ex was at this point. It's hard to keep track. But she was like, oh, no, no, we are not. Never. And all <laughs> stuff. And she like just kind of while they're setting up studio tracks and, you know, miking drums and stuff like that. She picks up the guitar and starts just kind of strumming and off the top of her head, just saying, no, we are never, ever, ever getting back together. And she starts singing it. Mm-hmm. And then the whoever produced that particular track, because there were multiple producers on the album. Um and collaborators and stuff, I, I guess to go to directly to what you just said was still rolling tape and then went in there and said, talk about, how do you feel about this? Talk about it. And so this is, those lines came from the sessions that they were, <laughs> that, that's what she was. She was literally telling the producer like, Oh God, I hate it when this stuff happened. Like, no, there's no chance. Ne- like never. And so it was just, it's just hysterical that, that that's what you picked up on as well. That's, that's funny. Um, it's, it's a, it's a clapback anthem, which, yeah, which is yeah. perfect. Yeah. Which very, she's, she's very good at. I mean, she, 
she does come back to the same type of theme. Um, again, similar to what Sean and I were talking about with Fiona Apple. It's like these are two artists who are really good at like cutting down their ex-boyfriends in very poignant ways. Very much so. Very much so. Now, what, the only other thing I want to add to this particular song is, you, like, this whole album, if you listen to the album read on a whole, like, this was the first single off the album. But this song probably forecasted the coming change in our sound from country to pop more than anything else. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. You know, like, it definitely, when you listen to this, if you didn't know anything about her and you heard this, I don't think you would pick up on the fact that she was a country artist at first. No, it's it's an out of, like, yeah, listening to the album, it's an outlier. And I like if you were like to just like jumble all of her songs and everything, I would have put this one on 1989 or Lover or something else. Yeah, yeah, probably. Now, you know, in what I mentioned, as I mentioned in the beginning too, in my intro too, it's funny because this song kind of started the alienation of her country fan base. Like I told you, you know, uh, Alexia recalls this being the end of her fandom with Taylor Swift and a sentiment that I've heard other people, you know, other people kind of like country rock radio kind of turned on her. And once she went with this very, very pop sound and that, that lasted for years until probably love her when that album came out. And then obviously the new stuff now, of course they love her again, but it's yeah. So very interesting. All right. What do you got for us? What's your first, what's the first on your list? Okay. Well, kind of like how you brought up the first song that really kind of brought you to her, brought her to your attention. I'm going to kind of go with the same thing. Um, and mine was one of the biggest hits off of 1989, Blank Space. No money, Make the bad guys good for a weekend. So it's gonna be forever, or it's gonna go down in flames. You can tell me when it's over, mm, if the high was worth the pain. Got a long list of ex lovers, they'll tell you I'm insane. Cause you know I love the players, and you love the game. Cause we're young and we're reckless, we'll take this way too far. It'll leave you breathless. So this song, Blank Space, was the second single off 1989. And this song, this song honestly probably rocketed her into the stratosphere of super pop stardom more than anything else. It's a very tongue-in-cheek, self-satirizing song about her life. I love this song specifically more so because of an intimate acoustic guitar performance she did at, uh, there's a YouTube series that was like live from the Grammy museum or something. Mm. Um, I think it probably came out around the record release of this, but it was stripped down. It was like her at the piano and her uh-huh. playing the guitar and her doing, um, and she describes the song. She talks about it. And, and it was really cool. She described this song as quote ripped from the headlines kind of thing. <laughs> she said, she said in that interview or right before she played the song, she said it was a response to the way the media described her personal life. Like she was some psycho serial dater. <laughs> and she even said there was a gossip column. I love this part, by the way, there was a gossip column that said something like Taylor Swift is standing next to a guy. Uh Oh, watch out guy <laughs> and stuff. And I thought that was great. And she said, she thought that, you know, the she thought about the character they were writing about. And at first she got upset. She's like, why do they describe me that way? That's not who I am. And then she kind of thought that person sounds kind of interesting. <laughs> like I, I want to write a song about the people, about the person people think she is. 
and that's what came out of this song. So there you have blank space. Now, little tiny footnote to this again, this came out right when I started dating that other girl and she got me into this album and this stuff. And I played this song. I did an acoustic version, uh, an acoustic show right around Christmas, 2014. And I did a couple of, I did a cover song medley at the end just to keep the crowd into it and stuff like that. And I did like a mashup of like three or four songs, uh, pop songs. And I added this, I closed it with this one. And the funniest thing about this, because again, we're talking about the girl that brought me to write the song that, Taylor Swift at her, you know, like we said at the very <laughs> beginning, how ironic ever, all these things interweave and tell the story. But the funniest thing I remember about that show was this girl and her friends listened to this album nonstop for months. And then I played an acoustic show, played this song, and that was the first time afterwards her and her friends look at me and they go, oh, wait, the line is, it's a long list of ex-lovers? I thought you were singing about Starbucks lovers. <laughs> that was what they remembered. They didn't even know the words of the song at the time until I played it. So there it is. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <Yep>. Kids. <laughs> oh, thank God you're not dating her anymore. <laughs> right hey man it was it was it served a purpose. No, okay. yeah <laughs> it served a purpose it was fun yeah i i don't i don't have much to add i mean yeah it's a it's a great song to be for for everything that you described like to to be able to zero in on the critical obsession with her love life and come up with this very sharp and cutting response uh it's terrific um yeah it's it's one of my favorite songs on just a really really great album uh i was telling you before it it almost killed me because i'm not picking any songs from 1989 but i like so many songs on the album and this is just one of the really really strong ones so yeah yeah you know and i think and the last thing i'm going to say too is i think what's really interesting about a lot of this album is you mentioned it being, you know, in your when you described it at the beginning, you know, on the surface, on you know, on a superficial level, it's kind of like, yeah, it's okay, it's just pop, it's whitewashed pop, it's what you right. hear on the radio, all overprocessed synth stuff like that. And I would agree, except for the fact that I was so hyper exposed to this album mm. at the time that seeing her play, describe the songs, then playing stripped down versions of them where you eliminate all the production and you just focus on chords melody structure and lyrics which we'll get to as we go into some of the other songs that we talk about it's you know it's i i couldn't when i became a fan and just started when i decided to do this song acoustically to be honest with you i think i was kind of like shocked that this young girl was so hyper aware so self-aware that she could actually write a song about herself but not as herself as like it was it was like Oh my God! The meta humor in this is just ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And that, that's something that'll come back in one of my one of my later songs too. Yeah, cool, yeah. cool. Um, okay, so what do you got next? All right, uh, my next song is the opening track from Folklore. The song is "The One." I'm doing good. I'm on some new shit. Been saying yes instead of no. I thought I saw you at the bus stop. I didn't though. Tonight, I hit the Sunday matinee You know the greatest films of all time were never made I guess you never know, never know And if you wanted me, you really should have showed And if you never bleed, you're never gonna grow And it's alright now 
with something, don't you think so? Roaring twenties, tossing pennies in the pool And if my wishes came true It would have been you In my defense I have none For never leaving well enough alone But it would have been fun If you would have been the one as I said, um, I heard good things about this album, and I was like, you know what? Yeah, I'll give it a shot because we had talked about doing a Taylor Swift one. So this was the first time I listened to her music specifically with an ear toward we're probably going to do a podcast about her. So like, <laughs> let me let me do like a deep listen. Um, and I was immediately immersed into this one uh, for the the musicality, the production of the whole album, which I'll come to. Um, but this song in particular, as an opening, as a lure into what's going on, um, I loved it. She starts it. The, the opening lines are, I'm doing good. I'm on some new shit. Like, just <laughs> right. what a perfect statement to open the song and this album that is a very stylistic departure from where she had been before. Um, there, it's, there's this kind of casual comfort in the song, which is accepting old breakups and hangups and kind of getting on with it and moving on. Um, I love the melody of the chorus. It is soft. It's pretty. It's, it's a very breezy way to kind of pull you in and, and lure you into this album. Right before the last chorus, she said, she has this line, I persist and resist the temptation to ask you if one thing had been different, would everything be different today? I just, I really like the phrasing of that and, and, and how yeah. she comes with it. For the album as a whole, I, I just kind of wanted to mention this. As I said, one of the things that cued me into to wanting to like this one is I heard that it was co-produced by this guy, Aaron Desner. Um, and I knew that he was part of the National and in, I'd say, like, the first part of the last decade, The National was one of my favorite new bands. Mm. Um, I had four of their albums, Sad Songs for Dirty Lovers, Alligator, Boxer, and High, High Violet was the last one. Um, I really dug the sound, uh, the voice of the, the lead singer, Matt Berninger. Um, it, it's, it's kind of, like, moody and atmospheric, mm-hmm. this sort of alterna pop. Um and what I found interesting, and I, I kind of knew this going in, so I was, I was, when I was thinking about Taylor Swift of it, was the way the National approaches their songwriting is the Desner brothers, it's Aaron and his brother Bryce, right. they write and compose the music themselves. They do all of that first. And then the singer, Matt, he comes up with lyrics inspired by their music. Um, it's almost all responsive and reflective to the music. He's he he's said that he's not one of these guys who carries around a notebook full of like lines and poetry mm. and, and like, lyrics that he wants to use. He hears the music and comes up with the lyrics like that. So in a lot of ways, like a lot of times the music, I, I don't want to say the song lyrics are inconsequential because that's that's not necessarily it. But it's not like it's not it's not lyrics first like songwriting sure yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. it's it's very much that's like the, one of the last components to come into it um but that's kind of the opposite of like the way you think of taylor swift approaching so i was like how i was like this is going to be a very like interesting marriage of these two different styles um and when you hear them <clears> talk and i i recommend disney plus has this whole special 
um, about the album folklore and the production of it called the Long Pond Studio Sessions, um, where they interview her and some of the producers and co-writers who worked on this and their approach of, okay, she would come up with these lyrics and then uh, Aaron would write music for that. Or he would come up with like some music to it and like send it to her and say, tell me what you think about this. And then he would mm-hmm. go for a jog. And when he came back from his jog, she's got a song written for it. Right. Like, okay. <laughs> so really interesting things like this. A few other things I did when I, this is like my stealth national podcast. Um, <laughs> okay. Um, the national performed the song, the reigns of Castamere for the show game of Thrones. Ding. That's me coming back to that from, from 10 minutes ago. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> well, the, uh, the other Spoiler thing. Spoiler alert. Yeah. When this album came out earlier, well, in the middle of like last year, and I made this connection, I realized, I started thinking about the national and reflecting. I was like, five years ago, this was one of my favorite contemporary bands. And they've been off my radar since then. And I realized they've put out three albums since then that I haven't even heard or listened to. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what's going on? And it has actually been a, a an unfortunate byproduct of my podcasting and, and how much effort I put into this is that I haven't listened to a whole lot of new music in that time because I spend a lot of time almost all of my time with headphones on or earbuds in is listening to other podcasts or listening to myself while I'm editing podcasts or picking out old songs that I already know to use as needle drops for the podcast that I'm working on. Um, so in this past December, I made a conscious effort. I was like, I want to listen to like the best albums of this past year. So like I binged like, like 10 albums just so i could say that i i listened to 10 albums <laughs> right um and they were great you know that included you know bob dylan bruce springsteen fiona apple two yeah, albums yeah. by by um uh taylor swift but also like uh run the jewels megan the stallion a couple of others so it was like it was nice i was like i'm i'm starting to i, I have to reforce myself to listen to full albums again and new music and it's it's something that i forgot that i was missing but well cool cool i'm 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 <laughs> I don't know. I guess great. I'm glad our podcast <laughs> somehow indirectly forced you to go like listen to what's pop on the radio. <laughs> I don't, um, no. Um, well, now that you're done with your promo for the national, um, I, <laughs> I, I do think what's what's cool about this song. And I'm glad you talked. I'm glad you talked to me. You know, I would have. I, I, had this song been one of my selections, I would have mentioned the same thing, the Disney plus thing. And because it was very much like a VH one storytellers where, you know, there, mm. there's a snippet of them talking about the song they're going to play. And then they played the song and then they kind of talk. So it was that kind of thing. That was really cool. I liked hearing about that. And this was a different, you know, let's be honest. I experienced it as a writer uh, during this pandemic. Other artists have all talked about it. Everybody like there's this weird sort of, alternate dimension that everybody artists are living in right now where you know the bands that are used to touring in the summer didn't get to tour and play anywhere and the bands that are used to recording with big writing sessions and stuff don't get to do you know it's there's it's very very weird that something so like this could come out except for the fact that the guys you're talking about um what are they the desner is that right? Yeah, Desner. Yeah. yeah, the Desner brothers. The way they happen to write, because the brother Bryce actually does production on the albums as well, too. His yeah, name's yes, credited, too. Um, so it's, but it's interesting that this particular style of the way they write, 
actually was served well by the pandemic because they didn't have to be with Taylor Swift working in a room together. Right. It's kind of, you know, there, it was like, Hey, send me something. Let me work on it for a little bit and I'll send it back to you and you work on it. And this, this kind of, this worked long distance. And it was mm-hmm. really cool that it just so happened to kind of, it was like a nice piece of the puzzle to get people to, you know, their creative juices still were served while going through something horrible that the whole world hasn't still recovered from. We're still in the middle of it, but I think that's really neat. Um, The one thing I really loved about these pandemic albums too was maybe it's because of the pandemic. Maybe it's because you worked with different producers. I don't know. It could be a lot of things, but you talked about it's a different style, like indie folk, emo, alternate pop. There's all kinds of different things. I actually heard a brand new genre I've never heard of before. Somebody referred to Taylor Swift's new albums as electro folk. And I was like, (laughs) okay, I've never heard that, but that sounds kind of cool. But I love that they're so stripped down. There's minimalist production to it. Like you described, they're very atmospheric. Like a lot of the music is very atmospheric and sparse and feels like a horizon, a distant horizon kind of thing. Um, and, and, but, but they're great. And they force, they force you to kind of focus on her listeners her, or, or her lyrics. Sorry. Her lyrics are way in front, you know, it's yeah. like that. Yeah. And yet her background harmonies have this very distant ethereal head voice kind of sound. So you've got this weird mix when you listen to it with headphones, you know, she sounds like she's sitting next to you, but she also sounds like she's miles away. And it's just a really cool production thing that happened. Um, I love it. And then, and then lastly, just a couple of lyrics. You mentioned a couple of lyrics in the song. You like, there's a couple I like as well. The wishful reminiscence she shares in certain metaphors, like the first time through the chorus, she goes, you know, the greatest films of all time were never made. And then later she comes back to it and says, you know, the greatest loves of all time are over now. And there's mm-hmm. just something, those two lines back to back, like it, it, it at, the, at different stages of the song kind of give me chills. Yeah. And I, yeah, it's, yeah, that's all. That's, that's it. I just thought it was awesome. Great, great song. Cool. All right. Where do we go from here? Okay. So my next selection, I'm going to, I'm going to go old school with her and I'm going to do love story from fearless. See the lights, see the party, the bar games. See you make your way through the crowd and say hello. Little did I know that you were Romeo, you were throwing pebbles, and my daddy said, Stay away from Okay, so like I mentioned, I just wanted to—I wanted to give. Although the country music side of Taylor Swift was never really in my wheelhouse, so to speak, as I've become a fan of hers, I've gone back and listened to all of her stuff, and I've seen. There's luckily there's also a lot of live performance material out there too. Like she's released DVDs of live concert tours. She's done plenty of stripped down acoustic performances. She's played. So she's kind of all over and you can kind of go back and hear this stuff. Um, this song love story was written apparently about it was it supposedly was written after like family and friends of hers didn't approve of one of her early relationships. 
And so she conjured up kind of a Romeo and Juliet theme. And she was writing the song for, as if she was Juliet's perspective, albeit with a happy ending instead of everyone dying. It's <laughs> it, not like Game of Thrones. But the, the single, the, the single, this song was a, was a smash success and sold like 18 million copies. So I had to mention it. It's not necessarily one of my favorites, but it would be kind of blasphemous to do a Taylor Swift podcast without refer- referencing what may be her biggest country hit ever. And again, it's completely, you know, this was something I think I want to say she was maybe 18 when she wrote this, maybe younger, I think. And when you put all that into context, she wrote the hook, the melody, the chords and the lyrics. It's like, oh, my. I mean, it's it's just shocking. Yeah. When I mentioned in, when I was talking about my my exposure to her, I think this is I, I think this was the first song of hers that I heard, but only a fragment of it, like. Like this one was familiar, so I th- I'd probably heard at least a couple of bars of the song or or the chorus or something like that because I do remember it was so popular um, that even while not you know listening to to a lot of country music, I think it had had enough mainstream crossover appeal at the time that I had heard at least part of the song, and it's good. It, it is very catchy. It's a, it's an enjoyable song. It is. It is. Um, Thinking about the subject matter, though, like I can't tell if in the last line she's supposed to convey that the entire the entire song is ironic because she you know, like in stating that they're both very young. Are you implying that you don't know what you're doing that you're too immature to really understand love? I was because you know Romeo and Juliet are <laughs> they're dead within three days of their wedding. So <laughs> yeah. I was like Taylor, did you did you read the whole story? Did you read the whole play? I was like, right, right, yeah. Are you still in the honeymoon phase? Because it's not going to last long. <laughs> right, right. I was like, I, I, you're probably in high school when you're when you're writing the song. I was like, did you, <laughs> did you finish the the, the play? Like, so, yeah, yeah, I should. I, I, I just kind of like like as I'm listening to the song, I'm like, okay, you're drawing all of these Romeo and Juliet like comparisons and analogies. I was like. Romeo and Juliet are really known for one thing besides uh, their love, which is like what Milhouse said in The Simpsons. It started off like Romeo and Juliet, but it ended up in tragedy. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, just like Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right, right. So what do you got next? All right, I'm going back to uh, before her any days. Um, this was from the album Lover. And this is the song, The Man. I would be complex. I would be cool. They'd say I played the field before I found someone to commit to. And that would be okay for me to do. Every conquest I had made would make me more of a boss to you. I'd be a fearless leader. I'd be an alpha type. When everyone believes ya. What's that like? I'm so sick of running as fast as I can Wondering if I'd get there quicker if I was a man And I'm so sick of them coming at me again Cause if I was a man Then I'd be the man I'd be the man I'd be the man They say I hustled Put in the work wouldn't shake their heads and question how much of this I deserve. As I mentioned, uh, I like a lot of what I've heard on Lover, uh, the album, except for the first single. But when I when I was listening to it, 
preview it, this song immediately jumped to the top. Um, <laughs> even before I started making, you know, a Taylor Swift playlist for this episode, I had this song in heavy rotation on just my general kind of like listen to random music stuff. Okay, cool. um, I love like the, the strong feminist vibe calling out these sexist double standards. Men are able to play the field without being promiscuous. Um, men's sex lives are conquests, whereas women, you know, damage themselves and everything like that. Uh, I love the line when she says, when everyone believes you, what's that like? <laughs> right. right. Um, and it just comes back with the, the line from the course. If I was a man, then I'd be the man because all of her accomplishments, all of the things that she has done, you know, I mean, you, you rattled off all of her awards, the, the great successes of the albums, the chart toppers, like the accolades, everything. And yet she still has this reputation that she would not have if she was Bruce Springsteen or Justin Timberlake, or any one of the, these guys you know, with a dick, because they kind of get a pass, and they're, they're expected to have these things. But because she's a woman, she gets second-guessed. I, I was guilty of it. I thought I couldn't imagine that a young girl, you know, as young and pretty as her, could be, could be doing her own music that well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so, yeah, it's just, I, I think it's an incredible way of just, like, owning that and putting that out on front street. Yeah, she, when she has the lines, they, they'd say, I hustled, put in the work. They wouldn't shake their heads and question how much of this I deserve. I'm like, hell yeah. 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 This, just every part of this line. I just, it's, again, it's this anthem that, again that I love. And she, I mentioned it, she calls out Leonardo DiCaprio in this <laughs> right, right. for perennially dating much, much younger women. Not yep. judging you, but brother. But, <laughs> um, but he can do that. Why can't she? Well, because of Taylor Swift, I've learned my lesson. <laughs> Hopefully uh, the world can too. Yeah, right. No, I, I'm just, I, it just dawned on me now as you described it. I, I finally get what the song's about. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, okay, so everything you said, it's, it's pretty straight. Like, I have nothing else to add other than, you know, it's straightforward. It's interesting in the lyric. And if you haven't seen the video, if anybody hasn't seen the video, go check out the video for The Lover directed by taylor swift and starring taylor swift is that a spoiler alert i hope i didn't ruin that but (laughs) um anyway but uh yeah so she's is she it's it's a really really cool video in the same kind of vein as a blank space as i talked about earlier Mm -hmm. she's being kind of self-effacing and ironic but there's truth to the stuff she's saying and it's 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 cool um so here's all i gotta add about this particular song Interestingly enough, this song was released as a single in January 2020, so just a, a year ago. Yeah. And yeah. that that same month, a study was released that said the uh, a country music study was released that said that women only accounted for 10% of music played on country radio. 10%. Hmm. So, at last year's CMT Awards, VP of the network Leslie Fram and Jennifer Nettles if, from Sugarland, um, who's kind of an actionist, uh, activist on her own, um, announced a new initiative and forced radio stations for like got together with record labels and and country rock DJs and and, and whatnot and forced a new initiative to pass that guaranteed fifty percent equality on a number of radio stations, as well as on CMT, Country Music Television, the video channel. And they urged Country Radio to follow suit, and they did, and blah, blah, blah. And it was this huge thing. I remember the CMT Awards. They had this great moment where 
Jennifer Nettles came out to a standing ovation because of this movement that passed. And they were guaranteeing that 10% of, or I mean, 50% of radio, at least on specific country stadio stations, mm. are going to be devoted to women's women as well. So nice. ironically, this, it all had, I, you know, did this happen at the same time that Taylor Swift released the song? Who knows? But once again, it's another example of Taylor Swift holding up a mirror of indictment using right. her name as a platform. And it did wonders for women's equality. It really did. It's, it's, it's amazing. So I give, even if you don't like this song, I think it's, it's man. Oh man. That's that, that, that woman has power. Mm-hmm. All right. What's your next song? All right. I'm going to go with one of her newer ones off the album Reputation, but I'm going with the last song on the album, New Year's Day. Don't read the last page, but I stay. When it's hard or it's wrong or we're making mistakes, I want your midnights, but I'll be cleaning up bottles with you on New Year's Day. Hold on. To the memories they will hold on to you Hold on to the memories they will hold on to you Hold on to the memories they will hold on to you And I will hold on to you Alright, so this is another one of those deeper level songs um on the on the surface it seems like a love song about waking up the next day after a big party and sharing the intimacy of the morning after with the one you love if you take the lyrics at face value it sounds kind of formulaic but there's a couple of very subtle lines here that make me kind of feel like the big party was the last of them and the morning after is the inevitable come down and ending of the relationship i don't like i don't know if you ever caught this and you might not agree but I line, lines like she's like, don't read the last page. Yeah, she keeps I have saying that in that. my notes. Okay, okay. And then hold on to the memories. And then finally, there's a line that resonated with me a lot where she goes, please don't ever become a stranger whose laugh I'll recognize anywhere. That line sounds like somebody saying goodbye. And it's been, it's been fun, but it's over. Uh, I don't know. Regardless of your interpretation, I love this stripped down vulnerable piano version, vocal and track version. Even in the midst of this bombastic, like dance club anthemic album that is Reputation, this song ending it is a really cool kind of prelude to her pandemic works to come as, mm-hmm. you know, those upcoming albums. And also, it sounds almost like somebody that knows she's closing the chapter of this particular genre of music that she, I don't know. There's so many levels that this song strikes me. Plus, plus just the lyrics at face value. Yeah. I mean, it's very, it's very poignant and there's very, Oh man. And then of course I saw her, there's, there's a YouTube video of her playing this at, I I don't know exactly. I don't think it was an award show. She plays piano by herself and sings it. And it's maybe it was Jimmy Fallon. I don't know. I'll have to double check that, but uh, there's just something about that, that you just, it's, it's like kind of gut wrenching in the fact that I feel like this is somebody trying to put a happy face on the end of something. And that's, that's why I took from it. What did, what, did you like it? I do. I do like this one a lot. And, and he basically summed up exactly why. I, I love the minimalist sound of this song. Um, and, and I had it in my notes. This could have been on folklore. <laughs> like almost like, yeah, right. like just in terms, like, I mean, with tweaking of the production and, and adding some of like the ambient noise, but like just like having that like very, very down feel. But um, yeah, I, and I had again in my, my notes, like that line, don't read the last page. I feel like she is 
trying to avoid the finality and the conclusion that something is over. Oh, um, man, perhaps yeah. trying to manufacture a reason for this thing to still exist when uh, eventually, you know, just, you know, because as, as long as you don't read that last page, the book isn't over. Yeah. You know? and, yeah. and just try, trying, to, trying to hold on to something as long as you can. But, you know, inevitably, how long can you, how long can you hold that off? How long can you delay that? Um, so yeah, no, it, yeah, it, it is a beautiful song and, and yeah, very, very interesting way to close that album. Uh, it, it definitely is. does sound like, a, you know, a, a foreshadowing of what's, what's coming next. Yeah, it is. And I've always heard, I've always heard she's joked about this on various talk shows, like being on Ellen or being on other, you know, things. She's always joked about how she likes to leave these cryptic Easter eggs for her next work all over the place. Like I, I there's stories about, um, she was like somewhere in folklore. There's like, uh, there was an image taken from the photo shoots of that album where Evermore is spelled out or something like that. There's like, there's, there's weird cryptic things that she's always admitted that she does. She does these weird things. So I wonder, you know, like this could have been like knowing all along, maybe her next album was in the can or something, you know, who knows, but mm-hmm. she could have known that I'm going another direction or something along those lines. Who knows? But um, I, I think, I mean, <sighs> She, this is not a criticism or anything. This is just like sort of a point of like, she is in one sense, a product of her time in that she is very, very social media savvy and also very, very pop celebrity savvy. Um, and, And when we talk about, you know, her, like, like, um, you actually, you pointed this out. Um, you, you told me about the, the Netflix special, America, uh, is it Americana? Miss Americana. Miss Americana. Miss Americana. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and if anybody wants to know more about her, check out that on Netflix. Um, cause that was about, actually it was before Lover. It was, it was sort of like leading up to like the, the production. Yeah, the, it was, well, it was like you said, the 2018 when she even got yeah. political. You mentioned Yeah. That. Yeah. Yes. Um, like in that, like they show some of her very early, like, you know, like home, home movies, like footage of her when she's really just a kid, Yeah. but she has this immediate comfort with the camera mm-hmm. and herself <laughs> and with her body and everything. And it's just like, like you see that and you're like, is she like one of these like stage girls? Like, you know, the, like these girls that are born to be an actress, born to be on stage from like age nine, they're just like effortlessly comfortable and they know how to play to an audience like that. Um, and, and she just decided instead of being an actress, she just went into to songwriting and, and to singing and things like that. Um, but I think between those things and, and just knowing the way the media works and the way the tabloids have talked about her and treated her, she has been able, like we talked about the sort of meta humor and being able to self analyze, not just her own emotions, but a kind of global view of her and flip that on its ear in some of her songs, like blank page or blank yeah. space. Um, that's just, that's a, that's a kind of knowledge and a wisdom that, really you don't find outside of this kind of era of these millennials who grew up with this degree of exposure to media and social media and things like that. So yeah, I, of course, of course she's going to know about leaving Easter eggs for her next oh, album. Yeah, like right. that, she's playing with her audience and things like oh, that. It's God. a hype machine. It yeah. helps her stay relevant and it's yeah. a gift. Yeah. 
It's yeah, I, you know, to piggyback on what you just said, I think I think like I, you know, this is this is she has like this sort of awareness that I don't think is taught. I don't think like it's you know, like you said at the earliest age, it, like even in that Miss Americana thing they talked about when she was really like knowing how to get on the radio and promote your first single when you're 15 and your parents have to be in the other room. She's by herself and just the she puts on like all of a sudden it's it's charming. She knows how to talk. She like never got shy. Never got there's there's some something about that that I don't think she was ever taught I think it's just inherently in her and yet I feel like someday children of the next generation will be taught this social media acumen in like the school of Taylor Swift or something like that you know like I feel like that kind of like she'll be I don't know man it's 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 you're you're right though you're very right about just this amazing talent she has she's for her artistry and creativity almost has no limits, you know, with the amount of lyrics that she writes, the amount of songs that she writes in this particular song, we just talked about new year's day. This this is a really good example of a particular story that she may have told a hundred times in different songs, yet they're all unique. They're all fresh. It's a different way of spinning the story um, and all that stuff. And yeah, like you said, you know, this, being social media savvy, being savvy enough to plant hints and make people generate, you know, like I, I think you and I've talked about it in the last year, a couple of times, like Billy Corgan of the smashing pumpkins tried to do this a couple of times and people are just like, nah, and they just kind of tune up. <laughs> like you make something cryptic and make it a puzzle that people have to figure out. They're like, eh, no, thanks. Just, <laughs> yeah, just, just a Wednesday album coming out, you know, <laughs> it's like, but she has this ability to kind of generate more enthusiasm. And, and it's no secret that of the many records she has, you know, some of them are the biggest selling tour and the biggest grossing tour and the fastest selling tours of all time. I mean, her legion of fans knows no, no end. So. Yeah. yeah. Having said all of that, <laughs> Beyonce made the greatest album of ever. Oh my God. <laughs> we should do all. Boom. Okay. All right. Just okay. For the listeners, just <laughs> um, one day we should do a spinoff. We'll do a system. We'll do, if this episode is folklore, we'll do an evermore um, um, episode about the controversies Taylor Swift's been included in. And just, so, just to, to put a bow on this for the people that don't know what we're talking about, Ryan just, reenacted the Kanye West MTV award or was it the Grammys? No, I think it was the Grammys. It was MTV. Yeah. MTV. Okay. When Taylor Swift won best artist of the year or video of the year or something and went up there as this, what, 15, 16, 17 year old girl to collect an award Mm -hmm. and got bum rushed by Kanye West who stole the mic and said it should have gone to Beyonce and then walked off the stage. (laughs) Now, in Kanye's defense, he doesn't have a lot of venues to communicate his personal feelings on issues like that. Like, how else was he going to tell people what he thought about that award? Um, <laughs> no, it was it was a fucking terrible thing. To, like, just like, and you could see like the look of disbelief on first of all Beyonce's face, and then just like yeah. kind of more. And then yeah. people started in the audience started booing Kanye because they're like, "You jackass, don't do that." But Taylor's on the stage, and she just hears everybody booing, yep. and she's like, "Are they booing me? Should I give this award to Beyonce?" Like, like, oh, it was just a yeah, yeah. So. It was absolutely awful. She just wanted to she wanted to break down and cry, and then afterwards, like all the it, yeah. I mean, talk about 
horror and then she's that's and by the way that's just the first in a running of interactions <laughs> with kanye and taylor yeah. but well again we'll save that stuff for the sister show yeah. <laughs> so, okay so uh what's your next track right let's get back to the music all right my next track is all the lights by kanye west <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, my next track, we're going back to the album Folklore. Uh, track three, this is The Last Great American Dynasty. Rebecca rode up on the afternoon train. It was sunny. Her salt box house on the coast took a mind off St. Louis. Bill was the heir to the Standard Oil name and money. And the town said, How did a class divorce they do it the wedding was charming if a little gauche there's only so far new money goes they picked out a home and called it holiday house their parties were tasteful if a little loud the doctor had told him to settle down it must have been her fault his heart gave out There goes the last great American dynasty Who knows if she never showed up what could have been There goes the maddest woman this town has ever seen She had a marvelous time ruining everything All right so the story about this one is uh, Taylor bought this estate in Rhode Island called the Holiday House. And the realtor who so- who showed her the place is walking her through it, mentioned that this house 50, 60 years ago belonged to this woman named Rebecca Harkness. This is a woman who is a socialite, a philanthropist, an artist from the 40s and 50s. Rebecca married into the Standard Oil fortune. This, you know, her husband, everything was the heir of this. And she became one of the wealthiest women in the world. Uh, She was very outspoken for this time. She flaunted a lot of the norms and the conventions of society. Women, kind of a fascinating person if you look her up. Um, And as as such, all of the people in the, 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 town, the area, and the social status that she married into hated her. <laughs> and she apparently had this group of friends called the Bitch Pack, which is, you know, right on to, yeah. to call your friends that. Um, <laughs> anyway, Taylor hears about this and wants to write about her and, and everything. So this song, um, it's a nice break for her because as I as I listen to this, again, it's like the third track on the For the first time I'm hearing, she's not writing autobiographically for most of the song um it's in the third person describing this woman it's more of a narrative of this woman who all of the reasons why the critics hated her at this time until the end of the last verse when taylor connects her story to when the story of rebecca harkness to taylor's own story mentioning that she bought the house and it has this kind of folklore sort of way like there's a curse on this place that it's doomed to repeat the same type of evil woman who is going to disrupt things. And it goes first person, it goes to first person with Taylor repeating the chorus, only using the, the I pronoun. And it's this brilliant way of her using this story metaphorically to comment on her own critics and the dealings uh, with the unfair press 
and this country music system that she kind of like came into um, and, and like the, the whole music system that didn't want to accept her for breaking down all of these rules and these walls that they had established. Um, so I, I just like, like the, the quality of being able to turn this actual true story, this real character who existed and that she has this weird connection because they own the same house of turning that story into her own personal thing the parallels, I, oh, it, it floors me. Like the, the, the writing quality of this just, it, it's, it blows me away. I just love this song so much. <clears throat> okay, well, you read all of my notes, so <laughs> yeah. I don't have anything else I can say. Um, <laughs> hmm. <laughs> pretty on the, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty uh, like, obvious. I mean, it's, it, yeah. yeah. No, no, no. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of pseudo kidding. Um, yeah. But I did, I did mention the fact that I thought this would make like a good horror movie. <laughs> <laughs> like, like something like that, especially just this weird, like a rich mansion out in the Hamptons, kind of or Rhode Island, but like the Hamptons of the, you know, that kind of area. Like there was, was socialites. It was like a Great Gatsby kind of thing. There was like a lot of the stuff you talked about. Um, but more importantly, the one thing that you picked up on that I actually was going to mention when you talked about um, the one, so I'll do it now, is. The thing I love about these two surprise albums is how her storytelling has changed, kind of like you said. But it's not just this song. She's now, like, she's telling stories from either the third-person perspective or sometimes she's narrating from the first person but a, a, someone else's story. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because she's never done that before for, right. for years and years and years. It's always been her in the moment. This is what I feel. This is what I'm going through. That type of thing. So this, like, she's kind of graduated into this more Springsteen-esque or Dylan-esque kind of interesting tangent now. And yeah. it's another it's another amazing thing to add to her repertoire, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it's still kind of personal. I mean, this is obviously about her house and whatnot. But she's telling someone else's story mm -hmm. and connecting it. And, and she does that throughout these two most recent pandemic albums. Mm -hmm. um, it's Yeah, it's fascinating. Yep. All right. What's your next song? All right, so let's go back in time a little bit. Let's go all the way back to Fearless one more time. And I'm going to choose White Horse. Finally, we can hear Tay-Tay singing about heroin. Holding on the day's track on stupid girl I should have known, I should have known That I'm not a princess This ain't a fairy tale I'm not the one you'll sweep off her feet Leader up the stairwell, the St. Hollywood. This is a small town. I was a dreamer before you and let me down. Now it's too late for you and your white horse to come around. White Horse was the follow up single to Love Story on Fearless, but this song was actually written first. Um, it takes a lot of the fairy tale allegories that she was prone to do as a young child, which is common, you know, every princes and princesses and whatnot. But she describes this, the disillusionment and the disappointment when your prince Char charming turns out to be a frog. It's 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 simple. It's honest. It's a personal take on teenage heartbreak, uh, which, again, was kind of we've talked about this plenty of times. It's very rare for someone so young to be so honest and forthcoming, like to the public with their with their artistry. Now, I chose this song specifically. It's a beautiful ballad, beautiful acoustic ballad. Uh, you know, I, the reasons I like it are like numerous. But the reason I chose this for this was because this was actually this song was the, probably the first. Now, I mentioned before, 
uh, Blank Space was the first time that I like kind of started listening to Taylor Swift, became a fan. This song was actually the very first song Taylor Swift even made my radar. This was the first time I heard a Taylor Swift song. This appeared in the fifth season of Grey's Anatomy. And I remember when I heard the song in the scene, I immediately like went, it was like one of those moments where like, you know, early 2000s, there were all of a sudden a lot of good pop songs making TV drama that, mm-hmm. that it became like a thing. And I remember, you know, prior to that, it was just Miami Vice. That was the only show that did it. <laughs> um, but, but this made me like, I remember, I, I don't remember, I, I don't, I think it was the second episode of season five. I could be wrong. Could be in the pi- or the first episode but i went i know for a fact i went online to find out who that was and and this was probably the first time i heard the name taylor swift officially and this song apparently like it wasn't supposed to make the record um it was written afterwards but after the huge response from Grey's anatomy and chandra rhymes um it was added at the last minute to the record and this is one of my favorites of hers and yeah, I mean that's all I got. I just I just remember where I was when I heard it. So it's not about heroin. <laughs> um, I I like the song. I I don't have much else to add to it other than I, it's a very beautiful song. Um, okay, moving on. No, <laughs> all right, my next song is we're we're going to the album Evermore, her most recent album, the sister of the sequel to uh, Folklore. Uh, I'm going with the song No Body, No Crime. SP's a friend of mine. We meet up every Tuesday night for dinner and a glass of wine. SD's been losing sleep. Her husband's acting different and it smells like infidelity. She says that ain't my Merlot on his mouth. That ain't my jewelry on our joint account. No, there ain't no doubt. I think I'm gonna call him out. She says, I think he did it, but I just can't prove it. I think he did it, but I just can't prove it. I think he did it, but I just can't prove it. No, nobody, no crime, but I ain't letting up until the day I die. So even though she has gone from her country music roots to, you know, full-on pop to kind of synth pop to this indie folk track, this is perhaps the most country song of all of ours that we're going to be talking about. Absolutely. Um, Because it's a country revenge song, (laughs) um, which is one of my favorite genres of music. It's always, always been your favorite. Yeah, it well, it just it reminds me of like the night the lights went out in Georgia by uh, by Vicky Lawrence. Um, uh, this song uh, features backup vocals by Ham. I'm I'm always trying to pronounce that correctly. Put a little more of a loogie in your throat as yeah. you say it. Ham. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. <laughs> I don't want no hocking on my bread. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's this country. It's this revenge track. But it has because of the production notes and what. Aaron Desner and the other guys, they kind of all bring to it. It has this dark, almost kind of crime noir type of story mm. going to it. Um, the it's, it just, it's dark and it's cinematic. Um, and, and the story is, and it's, I mean, it's easier to follow along. Um, the narrators, and again, it's, it's not necessarily Taylor. It's a, right. it's a narrator. She's printing right. this character, but she's got a friend, Esty named after 
Estee Ham, she suspects her husband of infidelity and she thinks he did it, but she just can't prove it. That's the line from the chorus. Mm-hmm. And then the next verse, hey, Estee has gone missing and the husband is now living with his mistress. And the narrator thinks he murdered Estee. She thinks he did it, but she just can't prove it. And then the final verse, now the husband has gone missing after the narrator killed him. And she talked about how her, her dad taught her how to, like, uh, you know, how to drive a boat and how she's learned how to clean up after a crime scene or something and the police suspect the mistress and they think she did it but they can't prove it <laughs> um so it's just it's this great little crime saga wrapped up in the song um so i i mean i just again this is the the evolution of where she started you know singing like romeo and Juliet and stuff like that to now they were getting into this subject matter this crime noir story about a small town murder and cover-up um, I, I just I love it so much, and it's also in this way cycling back to the country roots because of like uh-huh. the sound and and the subject matter and everything. I just I love it so much. Yeah, the the you mentioned the Esther in the in mm-hmm. the story the narrator. What you didn't mention is the husband's name, which is actually Kanye. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm 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 honestly for, for this one like of all your song selections, I would say this one is the one I'm probably the least the least interested in as a fan. And I think it's probably because of the country roots to it and everything. And she's done a couple more recent ones. Like for a lot of people that are super proud that she's getting back, like songs like Betty uh, from, from I think mm-hmm. uh, folklore and stuff. She's written some back, back to country songs. Yeah. Um, so I think there's something about this. I'm not all that crazy about it, but it totally makes sense that you would pick this. And I knew the moment I heard it, this is like something out of like a LA confidential novel or something. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's something about it's, it's like a stump stomping country bar, Nick cave song or yeah. something along those lines. <laughs> and I even heard like country revenge. Like you talked about your favorite genre of all time. Um, <laughs> I even hear like some, like from the place Chicago, he had it coming. Oh yeah. Yes. <laughs> or, you know, or before he cheats by Carrie Underwood or something along those yeah. lines. And it's probably the most country she's, she's actually done in like seven mm-hmm. or eight years. So stylistically it, it tell it, this feels like a crime novel Yeah, and you know, my relationship with books. So, <laughs> so stupid so, books, stupid books. So, so this that's not one of the, this is not one of the five that you've read. <laughs> <laughs> not one of the five I've read. So I'll leave it at that. I yeah. knew for, I knew the moment I heard this song, I'm like, Oh my God, Ryan's going to pick this. And so, yeah. I, I knew too. The moment I heard this, song, I knew I was going to pick this one. And part of it was I was driving at night. I was actually going to pick up pizza for dinner. Um, and just and just driving through, you know, the, the hills of northern Vermont in the yeah. dark at night and just this song playing in the car and everything when I'm the only one on the road. I'm like, yeah, I'm into this one. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Speaking of the hills of Vermont, you know, I saw a meme the other day that it was something like somebody was asking, like, why do serial killers always bury their bodies in the backyard? Like, you know, whatever. And the response was, hey, not everybody has money for gas, money to, you know, for ba- bags, money for this, money for that and everything. It's like come on we're doing the best we can (laughs) all right (laughs) uh all right what do you got next okay so i gotta go back to i gotta go back to my favorite album of hers and again i'm going back to the album 1989 which we've talked ad nauseum about but uh one of one of my favorite songs i'm gonna go with style you got that jeans Oh, 
Okay, so this was the third single from 1989. I, I love the lyrical imagery of the song. It's, it's, it's got a really cool dark innuendo to it, like a double entendre kind of thing. While the lyrics taken at face value, especially in the chorus, sound positive and beautiful, like we never go out of style. It sounds like a timeless relationship or like a timeless wardrobe staples that you can't seem to throw out. But on deeper inspection, the more I listen to the song, and then it kind of becomes a little more obvious that it's not that. It's pretty much, it's dark. It's about a toxic relationship that you can't seem to get rid of, though. And you keep coming back to it, even though it's disastrous. I've had a couple of those, most notably with the girl (laughs) that we talked about in the beginning. You know, somebody that's, it's you're so beautiful when you're together that you deal with the fact that you're poison to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was one of the more adult kind of Taylor Swift moments, unlike her younger country songs where the boys were always the bad guy and hurt her and destroyed her innocence and blah, 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 whatever. Um, in this one, I, it, at least as far as I remember, this is like one of the first times that she kind of confirmed that she's responsible too. Um, she even sings the line, yeah, I've been there a few, uh, I've been there too a few times. Meaning, you know, when she's talking about the fact that I've heard you, you know, cheated, she's basically calling him a cheater. She's saying, yeah, I've done it too, but they're so beautiful. It's hard to resist the temptation. I, I love that. I love, there's like, it's like a disco pop kind of production to it, but in a, like a B minor. So it's got like a hint of melancholiness to it. I don't know. There's something about it, but this song grabs me. I just just love it and there it is so what do you think about it yeah i mean i don't have much else to add other than i think it's like my second favorite song on the album really um cool. yeah and, and my my first favorite song is uh out of the woods uh which mm-hmm. again if like you know, we were doing more song we're doing more songs i would have talked about that one um but yeah, yeah it's a really good song too <laughs> yeah. um but i yeah i really like this one just i i, I don't and then, like i didn't pick it because i didn't have any other like deep like explanation for it uh it's just it's good it's good yeah, it's good enough that's good enough. <laughs> <laughs> cool uh all right we're coming down the home stretch what do you got next all right, my last song, uh, sticking with the album Evermore. Kind of want to mention, like, we, we mentioned that how it's like the sequel, it's the sister mm-hmm. to folklore. And she mentioned this. She did kind of say that, like, after the release of folklore, because obviously we're still stuck in this, you know, pandemic and they're for very much like you know, under quarantine and everything. She couldn't tour to promote the album or support the album or doing anything. Mm-hmm. So they're still stuck in the same situation. So she's like, all right, let's just keep going. Let's just keep <laughs> rolling with this. Um, so she and like her producers and her, her colleagues who worked on that one, they just kept on doing more of the same thing. Um, but she did say they allowed to get a little bit more experimental and a little bit more playful. Um, uh, for this one, for my last song, I'm going with the second song on the album, Champagne Problems. You booked the night train for a reason So you could sit there in this hurt Bustling crowds or silent sleepers You're not sure which is worse Because I Dropped your hand while dancing Left you out there standing Crestfallen on the land in champagne problems Your mom's ring in your pocket My picture in your wallet Your heart was glass, I dropped it Champagne problems Alright, this one, um... 
maybe the opposite of love story. <laughs> that, um, this is a song about a woman rejecting a marriage proposal um, or, or, or given the chance of, of this couple. And again, yeah. not necessarily autobiographical because she's talking about this couple, these lovers from college that are kind of coming together and they, you know, he, he has this plan for her that involves, you know, giving her his mother's wedding ring or grandmother's wedding ring or something like that. And she's got this other plan that involves leaving him and starting a new life without him. Yeah. And they just didn't communicate that very well. Um, I love the kind of lo-fi sound of it. It's soft pianos and guitars uh, for a breakup song. It's not loud and hurtful. It's just crushingly quiet. Yeah. Um, like this long gasp of air just going out of the room. Um, and the lyrical details and the minute energy and her imagery that she conveys, she really beautifully captures this whole world that she sets a place, a mood, characters, um, the way a fiction writer or a filmmaker does. Yeah. You know, yeah. like from the first line, sitting on this night train, feeling this hurt, uh, how this guy was unable to resist telling the family members before the proposal, and now they all know, and they're just yeah. dealing with it. Um, she even keeps the, keeps the line, the hometown skeptics called it, like they knew this yeah. wasn't going to work out or something. Um and we we sort of talked about it, like like all of her abilities. This song, more than anything, and, and I should say, this song as a microcosm for these two albums. I really wonder what kind of prose writer Taylor Swift could be if she tried to write <laughs> short stories or or, or novels. Again, again, you're into my notes right now. Right? I'm, I'm right. I'm just doing the same thing. Yeah, but that was that was what I come away from. That. I was like, like she could write. Like, she would be like one of those, you know. Like you would be like if you got like the McSweeney's best short fiction of the year or something, she could write like a, a story, a short story in that, or yeah. she would write a novel that would win a Pulitzer because yeah. of course, of course she would. Yeah. yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. She says it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, I, it's, it's funny. I think you, yeah, you're into my notes as well. I don't really have much more to add uh, without repeating everything that you said. Um, I will say, you know, I probably haven't had as much time to invest in Evermore yet as much as I did Folklore. The constant, because I told you before we did this, I, I made just a playlist of just these two albums. And I've kind of had it on cycle, but in random. And you can't tell where one stops and one starts. You know, it's like, it's very, they're very much, the, the they overlap really well together. Mm -hmm. But again, I keep going back to this really cool trend of narrating moments in other people in other relationships, just as an observer mm. that these two albums do. It's, it's, I mean, aside from the fact that it's a really cool story, I mean, it's heartbreaking. It's sad, but it's, it's really cool about two people going to this big event night with totally different designs on how it's going to go. Um, but yeah, you know, you, you kind of said everything else I would have said, which is, you know, it's just this quiet atmospheric. Um, this song is a really good kind of, it, you know, I, I guess if if someone was to ask me, like, pick a song that represents Evermore really well um, or folklore or something. I mean, it's hard because they all kind of have this sort of sparseness in this very quiet, atmospheric, um, disparate kind of, uh, you know, sound to them all. But this song is kind of, you know, they're not like, there's not a whole lot of uplifting songs. There's not a whole lot of really super happy-go-lucky. There's nostalgia, there's reminiscence, there's heartbreak, there's a lot of that. This song would be a pretty good kind of, I don't know, maybe snapshot 
of of Evermore with the way both in production and in lyrical quality that she's writing about something else. Mm-hmm. She's observing, you know, there's, I, yeah, I don't, you know, that there's, it's a great song choice. And aside mm-hmm. from the fact that I hate the fact that she stole my title champagne <laughs> and you know, that, that, I, I can't tell you how much she's stolen from me over the years, but <laughs> aside from that um, great song choice, that's, I, I can, you nailed it. Very cool. All right. Well, what is the last song for this episode? All right. For the last song, I'm going to go with my, I've, I've said it might be, you know, one of my favorites a couple of times. For my last song, I'm going to go with my favorite Taylor Swift song from the album Red. I'm going with All Too Well. song as i mentioned this is my favorite taylor swift song and it's probably believe it or not because of the live performance version that you can find on youtube from the red tour more than the album version i think that's what i like more but either way it's still it's perfectly indicative of the song just has more energy and oomph to it um the song starts out slow and quiet and gradually builds to like this arena rock anthem kind of thing this feverish pitch at the end and the song is, it's just sick with incredible imagery. And apparently her first version of the song was over 10 minutes long. And she kept being told, you got to cut it down. You got to cut it down. And she kept cutting verse after verse after verse until she finally got it to about six minutes, which is the runtime of the album version. Um, but the strange thing is, ironically, for musicians out there, the song is just a four chord progression that never, ever changes. Mm-hmm. There's, it's like the chorus, the bridge, the pre-chorus. The, there's no, there's no coda. There's nothing. The song has four chords and, it's just, <laughs> and it doesn't change, but it's perfect. Um, and there are a couple of, you know, since we're on the, my last song that I'm picking for this, what, you know, the one thing I can't overhype enough was just this. You talked about it with your last song. You just did this. You know, what kind of prose writer should be? Would she be? Because her lyrics are very, very, um, um, they, they set scenes really well. You know, she's very like in this particular song, autumn leaves falling down like pieces into place. You know, that gets me. And then the simple nuance of a song, dancing around the kitchen in the refrigerator light. Oh, my God. Everybody in the world knows what that looks like. You, you don't have to close your eyes to see that, but no one's ever put that in song before. It's just something that's so like, oh my God, she takes the most simple mundane things that everybody in the world can relate to and spins it in this poetic verse that you're like, oh my God, it's so pretty, but we've all done it. Like it's so something it's beautiful. It's vivid. Um, and then, and then the, the, my, my big one that gets me every time, gives me chills, kind of breaks my heart, crushes me is the line when she goes, you call me up again, just to break me like a promise. So casually cool, but in the name of being honest, Oh dude, that yeah. line, that line devastates me it's, every it, time. She should have retired after that line. <laughs> <laughs> right. Mic drop. <laughs> it's, 
Yeah. Yeah. It, it's yeah. That, that I, I heard that line. And I was like, fuck. Yeah. So, so, so there, you know, I mean, I, I could go on and on about this particular song, but I think this, this kind of sums up everything. Like when I start, if, if you haven't heard it, listen to it, you know, there's a lyric video on YouTube. There's a live performance video with the bands during the tour. That's huge. Um, it's, this is, it's just my favorite song. It's got, it, it pushes all the right buttons. I I don't know if it's my favorite of her songs, but I do think objectively it is her best. Okay, moving on. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, no, I, I remember when we were coming up with our lists like months and months ago. I was like, um, I, you know, I could I could talk about all too well if you don't want to, and you were like, I want to. <laughs> yeah, like, I got that. You, I got that like, one. <laughs> you're like, that's mine. That's it. I was like, oh, okay, I'll pick something else. I was like, that's a good. Um, but yeah, no, it's. It is incredible. I, I, I think it is her best song, um, and it's it's so good. And I, I kind of mentioned it to you. Um, one of the songs that I, I, I had on my list until the last minute um, from Folklore is the song My Tears Ricochet, which I yeah. love. It's a, it's a beautiful song, but thematically and, and lyrically, I think it's a lot like All Too Well but it's just not as good. I mean, even though, even if it is yeah. my favorite song on that album, I was like, it's a lesser version of All Too Well. So I, I don't want to even put it up there to compare the two. Um, yeah, All Too Well is just it's it's that good. It's you know it's great. And and yeah, I mean like yeah, like, the like as as a, assembling a list of songs like for those there were like ten other songs that we kind of talked about that didn't make this list. And but as you you mentioned, my tears ricochet. I'm. I actually, what I said before about about what was uh, uh, Champagne Problems being indicative of those two albums, you know, being a really good snapshot of it, I, I think My Tears Ricochet is probably better. That's probably a better <laughs> snapshot. A better snapshot of those two albums, the way that that came out and everything. I, I love that song, too. I think it's really, yeah, it's cool. But, yeah, um, all too well, as you as you described it, I think, actually, you put the, you summed that up pretty well. I think if I was going to describe to somebody, even if it's not your favorite Taylor Swift song, it might be her best song. That That's pretty, pretty accurate. Obviously, there's a lot we could have chosen. This, you know, nine studio albums in the span of the last 12 years, I think it is. I mean, it's pretty, pretty ridiculous. No, it can't be. That can't be right. It's nine albums in 14 years, maybe. Yeah, maybe it's, it's, I, it's, I don't know. She bangs them out about every, every, with the exception of the last six months, <laughs> yeah. you know, two, two albums like, in six months, like every but, 18 months or something. Yeah. yeah. Something like that. But there's a lot, there's obviously a lot that we could go to. I, I just kind of want to cheat our list a little bit um, since I'm hosting tonight and, and give a special shout out. I'm not going to describe it in a whole lot in depth, but Taylor Swift, there's a lot of like special additions editions of her albums that have had bonus tracks and they're not ones that everybody else is familiar with and ryan i don't know if you've even heard it but there was a bonus track on 1989 called you are in love and i just want to say if you haven't heard it go check it out it's not on the regular version of the album it's only on the deluxe digital version but believe it or not it sounds it reminds me of secret garden by springsteen hmm. interesting yeah yeah, it's 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 soft, it's quiet. It still sounds like 1989, but yeah. it's a slow ballad, and and it's just got a kind of repeating progression in of of keyboards. That sounds like yeah. Honestly, just go check out "You Were in Love." Yeah, um, and another song that was almost on my list uh, from the album "Lover" is the song "The Archer," 
Uh, mm. uh, again, like a very quiet, sort of hauntingly quiet, just atmospheric, just like kind of these weird, eerie almost synths in the background. Very, very stripped musicality, like not not that much. Um, but I like that one. Like the the motif is I've been the archer and the prey. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, they, they, I would not be surprised if at some point we come back and talk <laughs> about 1989 because that's one of those albums where I, I would compare it to early Michael Jackson almost like if for no other reason where it's kind of like every song on the album is pretty good. Like, yeah. like not a lot of skips as, as we talked about, like in some, on some older shows, you know, it's like, yeah, you're actually right. That's a really, that's a really interesting. Like, I think the way you just described it with Michael Jackson, it's kind of like her thriller. I mm-hmm. think, you know, might be a really good way of describing it. There's probably, you know, there's only, there's maybe only a hand and this is obviously for another show, but there's only a handful of albums that I would ever call like perfect records and right. stuff like that. And most of the time, there are albums that have eight or nine songs on them. You know, right, right. it's it's hard to have fifteen tracks on an album and have it be perfect because you're going to have a miss now and then. But you know, like a Purple Rain or like a Thriller, '89 is that for me. And it took me a while. And at first, I remember my reaction to it was I just didn't like the sound. It was like all pop synth radio on the. You know, it was like I was like I don't like this. This isn't my style of music. And then once I invested in, it, I was like God damn, that's a good album and song after song after song. So yeah, that might, we, that might be for another show. So yeah, I mean, I, I am glad that you put her on my radar more and kind of like made the, the effort to get this one. Cause I don't think I would have dedicated an episode to her and probably wouldn't have put in the, the time and effort to listen to as much of her music, but I'm really glad that I did. Um, and again, I, I mean, I, I was guilty of thinking she couldn't be this talented. She must have had like so much help and and just like underestimating her. But the more you you divest, you know, like just peeling away the layers of how insanely talented she is at yeah. coming up with yeah. musical hooks that are very earworm, radio friendly, ear candy type of songs. Like I mean, she knows how to play to that, but she can also create lyrics that are equally catchy but also disarming in their honesty mm-hmm. um and and she's able to change and to reinvent herself and to stay relevant she's she's kind of mastering a lot of different types of genres um i i really want to see her rap album come out <laughs> with kanye <laughs> off he produced it that would oh, be so good wouldn't that be something oh my god <laughs> yeah no i really i really like your analogy that you mentioned at the beginning like comparing her to like a madonna I think that's yeah. really that's really astute. Like I don't think I would have ever noticed that or come up with that on my own, but now that makes perfect sense. It may I like I can't see it any other way. It's it's yeah, that's that's perfect. Yeah, and again, you know, I gotta give I gotta give a, a weird special shout out to a string of ex girlfriends in my life that have you know probably you know somehow or another imprinted Taylor Swift on me. My current girlfriend, uh, you know loves the fact that she's gone back to country roots um and now you know but has always respected her as as an artist as a songwriter as a musician all that stuff and then obviously my midlife crisis (laughs) girlfriend who you know she was my she was my red corvette and earring girlfriend you know that kind of thing um but that she she got me into you know that's the one one thing i'll never take away from her i wrote one hell of a good song about that chick (laughs) <laughs> and she introduced me and she introduced me to a whole lot of other songs. So yeah. you, you Taylor Swifted her and then, I, <laughs> and then Tay Tay went and Kanye'd you. 
big time. That's exactly right. Yeah. So on that note, <laughs> that's all, folks. Um, so another epic girl power episode in the books. I want to thank my co-host and your usual host, my brother Ryan, for joining me on our adventure. Ryan, do you have anything you want to say to the kids out there? Uh, no. <laughs> okay, moving on. <laughs> Fire and Water Records is a proud part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Feedback for the show can be left at fireandwaterpodcast.com, as well as on Facebook and Twitter, albeit not on Parlor. Special, special thanks to our Patreon supporters. For information on how you can support the Fire and Water Podcast Network, visit patreon.com slash fwpodcasts. You can also support this show by going to Apple Podcasts or Spotify and leaving a nice five-star review for Fire and Water Records. Every review helps push this podcast out to a wider and wider audience. All music clips and quoted lyrics are used for entertainment purposes, and no copyright infringement is intended. Until next time, come on over, baby. We can shake, shake, shake. Yeah. Cause the